Your Steve Jones Show podcast will start shortly. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Brewers Outlet, your beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Good afternoon, everybody. It is the Steve Jones Show on a Friday. News Radio 1070 WKOK. Matt Catrillo here with you. It is a best of the Steve Jones Show today as Steve enjoys the day off, but he's always in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, all new pre owned inventory. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Great sales department and great service staff as well. And every Friday show, brought to you by our good friends at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket, imports, domestics, microbrews, best selection of beer anywhere, wine coolers, water, soft drinks, snacks, they roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. And the pickle bar led by the barrels and the dills. Indeed, second to none. And six great flavors of slushies. Man, we've needed those the last couple of days. All at Brewer's Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. We've got a lot of great interviews to replay here today on a Best of the Steve Jones Show. Coming up next, we'll kick things off with USA Today baseball writer Bob Nightingale. As we remember the death of Hank Aaron back in January, and that was a lot of good info and a lot of good reminiscence from Bob on Hank's life and his effect on baseball and also on our nation as well. So we'll play that interview coming up next. Then at 3.35, Mike Golick Sr. joined us. He's joined us a couple times, actually, but he joined us most recently during draft weekend when he represented the Eagles and he announced the Eagles' second-round pick in Cleveland. He was actually driving out on his way to Cleveland when he joined us that day, so exciting to reminisce on that interview. So we'll play that at 3.35 today. Then for the 4 o'clock hour at 4.06, we'll replay our interview with now-retired Mark Zumoff, TV voice of the Philadelphia 76ers on NBC Sports Philly. He... Didn't really do many interviews after he made his announcement that he was going to retire at the age of 65 after doing the Sixers for 38 years. So that was really fortunate and a privilege for us to have him on with us, and he's become a good friend of the show. So we were really fortunate and grateful for him to have joined us after making such an announcement like that. So we'll replay that interview at 4.06 today. And then in the final half hour, we'll replay our interview with Jay Wright, the now Hall of Famer and, of course, Villanova men's basketball coach. He was able to join us, of course, right as he got named to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Of course, is also a Bucknell grad, played with guys like Pat Flannery and the like, and he had some really funny stories about Pat and some other some other of his teammates back in the 1980s there with, with Bucknell, so... That was a fun interview, so we'll replay that at 4.35 today. So lots of fun interviews to get to and replay today. We'll hope you join us throughout the rest of the show. If you missed any of these and you want to listen to those to those interviews again, you can 
join us on the podcast page, and we'll have the link on our Facebook page at Steve Jones Show, and also on the Twitter page at Steve Jones PSU as well. Always the best way to hook up with our show. And today's show brought to you by our good friends at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. We continue with the best of the Steve Jones Show after this on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Back here on the best of the Steve Jones Show here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Matt Catrillo here with you. Steve has the day off today. We'll be back on Monday for a brand new live edition of the show, and it will be officially the first game week of the year for Penn State as they get set to take on Wisconsin. And, of course, we got college football week zero kicking off tomorrow. Most notably, you got Nebraska and Illinois. And so we'll look forward to all that. And, of course, there'll be other games throughout the week. But, of course, that will be leading up to Penn State and Wisconsin next Saturday at noon. And you can hear the game right here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, WKOK.com, and always on the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app. But before, of course, we get to that, we get through a best-of show today. We're going to kick things off with USA Today baseball writer Bob Nightingale, who joined Steve back in January, reflecting on the life of Hank Aaron when he passed away in early January. And this was a great interview and some great perspective from Bob. Of course, you just think of everything that Hank Aaron did on the field, of course, the 755 home runs what he meant to the game, but also what he meant to the country at the time. Big civil rights advocate. He had many different obstacles to overcome, both on and off the field, especially with his teammates early on. And so he's been remembered for many different things on and off the field, of course, as Hammer and Hank, but of course, as a big civil rights advocate as well in our country. So USA Today's Bob Nightingale joined Steve earlier in January, reflecting on the life of Hank Aaron. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. Yeah, I told, uh, I've always told Ben Scully that, and I know Ben from my days of covering the Dodgers, that's still my favorite call of all time, you know, that, that the call of Hank Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, because in an ad-lib moment, he captured a lot, not just the home run, but also the feeling of it along the way. Uh, so, so Bob, for you, put into not only what Hank Aaron meant to the game, but what also Hank Aaron may have meant to society because of what he was able to do in the game. Yeah, you know, he became more popular every year. You know, I go to the Hall of Fame induction every year, and just to, you know, the ovations got, you would always get the loudest ovation of anyone. Uh, Hall of Famers were all congregated by them. And he would, he would start to speak his mind. I sat down with him, and I was looking it up today. It was 2014, and he was discussing with the way the world was going and how uh, Barack Obama was running the obstacles with the you know, Congress and everything else, uh, and just kind of said, hey, you know, let's wake up, America. What's going on here? And then I find it, you know, very ironic that, you know, he, he passes, you know, just two days after, you know, a, a new president and historic vice president. You know, alive to see that, but he—he uh, has almost become our modern-day Jackie Robinson, as far as you know, Jackie Robinson enduring all the racism, just like Kate did with the uh, uh, the home run record. And then for a while, he was kind of uh, uh, you know a recluse, uh, 
you know, after he retired, even though he worked for the Braves and stuff like that. Now, I think it's Bud Sealy who kind of got him to open up more and started sharing his uh, views on life. And he just you know, he became just more and more popular, you know, every single year. I only had a chance to meet and interview him once, Bob, and it was 1996 when he came here to Penn State, threw out a first pitch at a Penn State baseball game. Then I had a chance to really sit down and talk with him. The intelligence of the man really struck me. I mean, look, I mean, I watched him play. I knew what a great athlete he was and so forth, and he played the game smart. But it was just how intelligent he was on a wide range of subjects. Yeah, very much so. I mean, he kept on top of everything, particularly uh, particularly politics. Uh, yeah, just unbelievable. Uh, you, you know, he, he knew everything with uh, politics, met with the uh, State of the Union, you know, dinners and things like that. And uh, uh, very sharp guy. And he, you know, he kept all his letters, too. He kept hate mail from the, uh, the yes. uh, uh, Ruth Chase. And I asked him why. He said, just open up once in a while. And kind of remind myself that hey, things have you know, as much as that time has gone on, some things haven't changed, and uh, you keep those things that in his attic and still look at them from time to time. Well, it's interesting because I did tell somebody uh, a story today that uh, I, I it turned out it wasn't football this time; it was basketball I did down in Tuscaloosa uh, a couple of years ago, and we'd gone in a couple of days early. So they're practicing it over at Coleman, and I walked over to Foster Auditorium with a friend uh, because we wanted to see the spot where George Wallace stood in the door. I mean, you realize, think about it, Bob. This is what we talked about. Hank Aaron hit that home run 12 years after that, not that long after that. So it was very fresh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the things he, uh, the things he endured, and even when he talked about politics, you know, uh, you know, up, in, up until, you know, recently, you know, he would still get hate mail and, the Atlanta Braves would get calls. They tell Hank to you know be quiet about things. So yeah, it it, it is amazing. You know, like I said, it's, it's not that long ago, and uh, you know, I, I do find it very uh, ironic that you know he passed away two days later after a uh, you know yeah. a presidential election, the first you know woman vice president, and, you know woman of color. So uh, let's get into Hank Aaron, the player. Uh, I believe he was the last Negro League player to be promoted to the majors. But Mickey Mantle and Duke Snyder and Willie Mays were all in New York in the 50s. Mays, of course, was the consummate five-tool player. And he's playing in Milwaukee. How much was Hank Aaron for a period of time overshadowed by, for example, a great player like Willie Mays? I think he was. You know, and I know there was talk, and I never asked Hank about this or Willie about this, it seemed like there was a little bit of a rivalry, <clears throat> maybe some uh, not animosity, uh, maybe some jealousy. Like, hey, wait a minute now, you know, look at my numbers when I'm doing year after year. And I know people have argued, hey, who's, who's the greatest living ball player? You know, is it Hank? Is it is it Willie? Uh, but you look at Hank's consistency; it's mind-boggling. You know, with, with what he was doing year after year. Uh, I think Hank uh, across America is, is more popular than Willie. I think when Willie passes, you know maybe the uh, you know there'll be more uh, outpouring of love and support in San Francisco than there is Atlanta for Hank. But you know, particularly because Hank played so many years in Milwaukee. But I do believe, as far as uh, America's outpouring of support, I, I think you know I don't think we'll ever see 
uh, a baseball player, maybe even an athlete, you know, getting this kind of love. And then there's one other part to this that is rarely talked about when you talk about the two, but I want to bring it up here. We all know that in the World Series in 1954, Willie Mays made that phenomenal catch and then throw off the bat of Vic Wirtz. Yet when you look at it, Willie was not a great postseason hitter. Hank Aaron, he may have only been in three postseasons, but was always a great postseason hitter. Yeah, in the uh, God, I saw some stat. Oh, some stat on the uh, somebody put out today in that he hit seventy-two home runs off Hall of Fame pitchers in his career, by <laughs> far more than anybody else. So it didn't matter who was pitching. I mean, he was that he was that uh, great great of a player. So I, I thought that was pretty cool as well. Yeah, because he was over three hundred in the fifty-seven, fifty-eight World Series against the Yankees, which they won the 57 title. And people forget that the first ever National League Championship Series, it was always the Miracle Mets, the Miracle Mets, the Miracle Mets, and justifiably so. But they beat the Braves in three straight games. Uh, Aaron homered in all three games. It wasn't his fault that he had two extra base hits in the other in the, in other at-bats that he had. So, I mean, that's just the way he was. I mean, phenomenal. And he and Ernie Banks may have had the quickest, strongest wrists in baseball, too. Yeah, and the thing about uh, Hank Aaron, too, is, uh, you know, these players like, you know, Dusty Baker, uh, you know, Robin Young was saying, um, Brian Jordan says he signed with the uh, Braves just because of Hank Aaron. Just uh, taking guys under his wing and and molding them into uh, great people. Uh, uh, you know, I may be wrong, but I don't, I don't remember other Hall of Famers or Willie Mays, you know, people saying that about uh, those guys. But Hank, it's like everybody's coming out. And, you know, Dusty Baker has said to me several times, and said again today, that no one's more influ- influ- influential in his life besides his father, you know, than Hank Aaron. Yeah. What kind of defensive player was he? Because he played right field, and that was an era where Roberto Clemente was playing right field. Uh, I, I heard Joe Torre in an interview say, you want to know why? He said everybody brags about the arms of, of Roberto Clemente and a couple of other guys. He says, because Hank always hit the cutoff, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think he was uh, extremely underrated as a uh, right fielder. But you're right, Steve. I mean, with Clemente, and there's so many great arms back then, Ollie Brown, the Padres. But, uh, and I think just his, his bat overshadowed his glove. Uh, you know, I think, you know, very, very solid outfielder. I'm not saying, you know, he wasn't playing center field like Willie Mays, but, you know, certainly a, uh, uh, you know, a, a great outfielder. It wasn't like he was a, uh, you know, taking him out for defensive purposes late in games or anything like that. He grew up with nothing along the way. Very poor background in Mobile. When you talk to him, Bob, how much did that shape him as, as a man and, and shape his philosophy of life? Well, he always talked about, you know, not having anything, his mom raising him, you know, right, and things like that. Uh, I think he, you know, went to the Negro Leagues just to make some money for the family. So, yeah, I mean, uh, he says he would never take anything back. He, he was glad we grew up where he did, and uh says he learned a lot from Jackie Robinson, the way he carried himself off the field. And uh, he said he wanted to have that kind of a legacy as Robinson. And sure enough, you know, he, he has, he really has. Now let's get to the fun the, the fun part. A lot of people don't realize that Hank Aaron would get tickets and would sit in the dog pound 
in Cleveland because he was a Cleveland Browns fan. <laughs> <laughs> he would sit there with everybody else cheering. I think a lot of that would do probably because of Jim Brown early on. But still, I, I've always found that to be one of the most amazing facts about Hank Aaron. Yeah, I, I just saw something on uh, TV where Kareem uh, Abdul-Jabbar uh, was went to the Atlanta airport, and uh, someone yelled his name, so he turned around. It was Hank Aaron. He didn't recognize him. <laughs> but, yeah, so <laughs> Hank was a lover of all sports. He really was. He enjoyed the uh, – uh, sporting world. Yeah, no, it's great. And I always thought that was great. He says, no, I go and sit in the dog pound. thinking, you're Hank Aaron. <laughs> right, <laughs> you, should be, right. you should be in a suite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys like, uh, you know, uh, Bud Selig, you know, his commissioner, but he was the owner of uh, of the Brewers. I mean, they became very close. And he, he told the, uh, he was just telling the story today where uh, just a couple of years ago in D.C., it must have been the All-Star game, with him walking along the street, and uh, Hank Aaron said to him, said, hey, whoever thought a, uh, a kid from Alabama, a black kid from Alabama would break, you know, the all-time home run record, and then a Jewish kid from uh, Milwaukee would become commissioner of baseball. <laughs> but love telling that story. <laughs> That's great. Hey, very quickly, um, uh, everything's really odd right now, obviously, with COVID. I mean, I know I have to balance a Penn State basketball schedule the way it's going right now. Uh, so what does it look like for Major League Baseball right now? Any word about how they want to handle spring training? Any word about how they may, may want to handle minor leagues? Anything you know right now? Well, I know right now, uh, yeah, everything's all system go. So the Major League camp will open up February 17th with AAA players. I believe some AA. The rest will okay. have to sit home until uh, April 1st when the season starts. Then they can go use the spring training uh, facilities. So their season will start late, uh, you know, uh, about a month late. And we'll see what happens, Steve. I mean, uh, you know, they're watching keeping a close eye on the NBA. They'll see these postponements. You know, that they're scheduling seven double hitters again next year because they know they're going to have some, uh, you know, some COVID outbreaks again. And we'll see what happens in spring. It's one thing to uh, follow all these regulations and protocols for a 60-game season. It's quite another to be, you know, going to Scottsdale, Arizona, and, uh, you know, cool places like Tampa and uh, Miami area in uh, Florida and you know and these guys just go back to their hotel rooms and condos without going out to dinner or going to bars uh, you know we'll see what happens I mean right now in Arizona this is where I live one of every nine uh, people in the state have COVID right now you know it's, it's, it's stuff's not going away no it's not and very quickly you mentioned the seven inning double headers any word on rules? Will they keep DH this year? Things like that. Any change in rules? Uh, well, the uh, the runner at second base, the extra inning rule, that's going to come back again. And they're still okay. negotiating negotiating the uh, DH and the uh, postseason uh, expanded postseason. I think the DH is coming. I don't think there's any way they want the pitchers who haven't picked up a bat in a year to start running the bases and, and hitting things like that. Too big of a chance for injuries. So I, you know, they haven't announced it yet. I'd be shocked if the DH isn't, isn't here in the National League in the, in the state forever. Please stay safe out there, Bob. Please stay safe, okay? I appreciate you very much. Thank you so much for your time. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you, Steve. Be safe as well. And that is Bob Nightingale, the USA Today baseball writer, reflecting on the life of Hammer and Hank after he passed away in January, and he joined us shortly after reflecting on the life of the legendary baseball slugger.
And staying with baseball, the downfall continues for the Phils. Everyone thought, especially after the sweep against the Mets, they're in first place. You're going to Arizona. You can take care of business there. You'd have them at home this weekend, which is happening right now. Plus, you had the series with the Padres, who've been kind of up and down. Everyone thought that would be it for the Phils, but as I said to Steve a couple of days ago, this team has constantly been inconsistent. And I didn't think it was going to be any different this year, even with Joe Girardi as manager. And, of course, he has had an up-and-down year himself as manager, though I think some of it's not all of his fault. But this is just a, a colossal breakdown again. I mean, as Tom McCarthy said last night, this Arizona team is going to lose 100 games. (laughs) And you've now lost four in a row to this pathetic team. I mean, that's as bad as it gets for the Phils. But at the same time, I can't say it's that surprising. And it just capped off uh, a terrible day for the franchise as they then learn that Reese Hoskins is now out for the year after he was placed back on the IL. He's set to have surgery, I believe, either today or sometime next week. So a tough one there for the Phils. Meanwhile, at least there for Phillies fans that are Eagles fans, of course, you have preseason football the last week of the preseason tonight. Eagles and the Jets at 7.30. We'll see if Jalen Hurts and any of the starters play. As I've said before, I'd like to see Jalen Hurts play at least maybe two or three series, and that'd be it tonight. But I got a feeling, because things went pretty well with joint practices with the Jets this week in Florham Park, that Jalen Hurts and most, if not all, the starters may not play tonight. I wouldn't expect, definitely wouldn't expect the defensive starters to play. But I think there's some offensive uh, guys that should play, and Jalen Hurts is one of them. But we'll see. I won't be surprised if they don't, because that's kind of how Sirianni's run the ship so far in training camp. But we'll see tonight. Then also you have the Steelers at the Panthers tonight at 7.30. And Dwayne Haskins going to get a majority of the reps tonight to vie for a spot on the roster. I think it's kind of a weird dynamic that Mike Tomlin's given. He's not playing Big Ben, obviously, tonight. But he's also not playing Mason Rudolph. And I get it. Mason Rudolph's been the guy. He knows the system. He's had some good games here and there. But he's also had some terrible outcomes as well. And... I still think Dwayne Haskins has been slightly the better quarterback in the preseason. Now, I will give Rudolph credit. He answered the bell and played very well against the Lions. I mean, everybody did. The Lions stink. But Rudolph did what he was supposed to do, had a good game against the Lions. And I thought that he probably solidified it then. But if you're looking at Dwayne Haskins as maybe the future, and you're giving him this spotlight now to buy a spot for the team. What if he plays really well tonight, like lights it up? And Carolina apparently is going to play some of their defensive starters tonight. So we will get that opportunity to play against the ones of another team, which he hasn't had all preseason. Then I think you're putting yourself in a predicament that you had control of that you didn't need to, necessarily need to. I don't know. I I just think this whole Dwayne Haskins thing is still kind of a strange dynamic because, one, you're maybe looking to see if he's your quarterback of the future, even though they haven't been totally public in saying that, but that's essentially what it is. That's why they brought him in. He's a former first-round pick. But at the same time, 
you've already apparently wrapped up the competition for the number two quarterback, and you've already given that to Mason Rudolph. I just think it's a very strange dynamic the Steelers are creating here with Dwayne Haskins and his future with this team. But that's just me. So we'll see tonight. But anyway, back to our best of as we continue here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. In the final hour of the show, we go all basketball. The now retired TV voice of the Philadelphia 76ers, Mark Zumoff, will replay that interview coming up in the next half hour. And then the now basketball Hall of Famer and Villanova men's basketball coach, Jay Wright, will replay that interview in the final half hour of the show today. Today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the Beverage Supermarket, and Steve off today, but as always in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Humble's Wharf. It's the best of the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Party time, game time, or just fun time. Doesn't matter what time it is, because it's Brewers Outlet time. The Beverage Supermarket has the area's largest beer selection. Imports, microbrews, ciders, and domestics. Pick from over 100 ice-cold 12-packs and dozens of 24-ounce singles. Soda, snacks, hot sauces, fresh roasted peanuts. Make it one-stop party shopping and don't forget the pickle bar. So whatever you're celebrating or just doing it up, Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street, Sunbury, wants to see you. And thank you for your years of patronage. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Back here on the best of the Steve Jones Show, News Radio 1070 WKOK. Matt Catrillo here with you. Steve is off today, but as always, in the Sunbury Motor Studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. And every Friday show brought to you by our good friends at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the Beverage Supermarket, Imports, Domestics, Microbrews, best selection of beer anywhere, wine coolers, water, soft drinks, snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. And the pickle bar led by the barrels and the dills, indeed second to none, and also six great flavors of slushies, and we can certainly use those throughout the course of this crazy hot and humid weather we've had this past week, and looks like that's going to carry into the weekend. So make sure you stock up as well. And also, if you're a teacher, if you're working in education, you just celebrated your first couple of days back in school, why not 
get a couple cold ones and celebrate the first couple of days successful back to school. That's all at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street, and Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. And now we get to our next replay here on a Best of the Steve Jones Show. Former ESPN's radio host and color analyst Mike Golick Sr. He joined us. He's joined us a couple of times so far. Last time he joined us was on his trip to Cleveland for the NFL draft. He announced the Eagles' second-round pick, and that was a really fun conversation with him. And he definitely expressed his frustration about the hype around the combine and pro days and all these sorts of things. It was just a really typical Mike Golick Sr. interview. And here he was with Steve a few months ago during draft weekend. Oh, glad to be back. How you doing? I'm doing well. Hope everything's going well for you. Yeah, yeah, all going well. I'm on my way to Cleveland uh, for the draft. I get to make the, the pick for the Eagles in the second round or third round or something, so that'll be fun. So uh, we'll see if I actually say the name that's on the card or if I go low. <laughs> uh, that's exciting. Uh, see, that's what I'm hearing, that you might go off script. You're going you're to keep everybody hanging that you might go off script. Highly doubtful, though. I, the, the amazing thing is everybody's <laughs> saying, you got to go Dave Akers, who made the pick a couple of years ago when the draft was in Dallas. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Uh, You know, they said, you got to talk smack about the Cowboys. I said, that was coming off the year where the Eagles won the Super Bowl and the Cowboys and the the draft was in Dallas. I said, the Eagles were the worst team in the division and the the draft is in Cleveland. I said, a whole lot of different circumstances going on here. So where are you now? Are you on Interstate 80 right now? Where where are you? I'm on on 90. I'm about 100 miles from Buffalo. Uh Oh, okay. So you took the New York Thruway. Okay. I Very did because nice. I was up in Boston. I had to be up there oh, for okay. some, some NFLPA stuff. And so it took me that way, yeah. yeah. Okay. Very nice. All right. So how did this come about, Mike, that they said, hey, could you do this for us? Who opened the door for that to happen? And what did it feel like to, to know that they wanted you to do it? Well, they wanted me to do this last year, but obviously, you know, the, it was virtual last year. So, right. you know, they, so I, I knew it was kind of in the works. So, it's a, you know, someone from the Eagles calls, and and then basically, it happens with all teams. They all pick a. Uh, they say it's a legend, but I say you had to go a lot of phone calls to people saying <laughs> no before you got to me. Um, but every team gets one, and then so they they asked me to do it, which was very cool. But again, they, they had asked me last year, but obviously, it didn't work out with COVID. Um, and then it's up to the league on what round they want us all to do it. It'll either be the second or third round that all the, the former players will come out and represent the team. So it'll be pretty cool. You know, again, I'm I'm not going to do not, anything out of out of the ordinary, anything crazy. It's my hometown, so that's fun. I'll yeah. be in front of you know some some friends down there in Cleveland. But uh, other than that, uh, I feel a team that was four and you know four eleven and one or whatever they were. I'll just I'll just make the pick for them. That's about it. <laughs> All right, where were you more nervous? On your draft day, your brother's draft day, or your son's draft day? Well, uh, probably um, Bob's draft day was over in the second round. So, and I was I was younger then. He was I was until he was twenty one. So I was fifteen years old. So I was right. a teenager. I didn't, you know, what, what do I care at that point? <laughs> um, mine, you know, I was I would say for my son. You know, because we started getting calls in like the, the fifth round, so we weren't sure if he was going to get drafted or if teams wanted to see if he would be, you know, priority free agent afterward. And that's what ended up happening with Pittsburgh. He didn't get drafted, but those last couple of rounds, I was pretty nervous to see if he was going to get picked or not. It, usually, all those questions that when when kids are involved, it's all always re- re- revolves around the kids. <laughs> always. All right. 
this is a different draft because of what you just mentioned. There was last year it was done virtual. Well, this season, people were not, you know, I can tell you firsthand, people were not at Penn State football practices. Scouts weren't at Penn State football practices. You had opt-outs this year. How is this a draft of a guessing game in some ways because some of the normal elements of evaluation aren't there, including players that opted out? No, no, because I think the the January to April evaluation can be a bit overblown. You've got tape on these guys. Even, you know, yeah. Micah Parsons, he opted out. Panay Sewell opted out. I get it. But they still have tape. You know, they right. still have good tape that you can watch. So I don't care what a guy runs. You know. To me, what the combine is for, let's, let's separate quarterbacks, what the combine is for is did the guy have enough pride in what he wants to do to prepare for the ridiculous things that they do. They'll never run a 40 again. They'll never broad jump again. They'll never high jump again. They'll never do a cone drill again. I mean, it, it blows my mind that you spend months doing things that you'll never do again just to impress some people in shorts when you just had a couple of years worth of film to look at. So that always blows my mind a little bit. But, you know, you, what I think it can happen is somebody kind of jumps off the chart at you it can make you say, oh, I better go back and look at more film on this guy. Or if someone isn't prepared and a little out of shape, you go, oh, maybe I better check this guy's tape a little more, maybe in the fourth corner, or, you know, is he giving a damn all the time? Quarterbacks, I think, are a little bit different. The pro days of quarterbacks are laughable. I mean, when, when <laughs> Zach Wilson, you know, was in shorts and rolls left yeah. and throws a long ball down the field and everybody's going and on, I'm like, are you kidding me? He's inserted a T-shirt. Nobody's rushing. Nobody's covering his guy, and he and he heaves it. You know, let's worry about what he does in his film. And this has got to do with Wilson because I like him a lot. But yeah. to ooh and ah over something like that is a joke. To me, is a joke for quarterbacks. You watch their film, and then I think when you get them in a one-on-one situation, in talking to them, not only talking to them, but get them to the to the whiteboard, uh, talking yeah. about plays, talking about coverages, get them in the film room. You know, talking about coverages. What did you see here? Why did you make that throw? Those are the things I want to hear about my quarterback and then watch him, uh, you know, play his games. I could, I, in all honesty, I probably would get fired. I would never, I, I could care less about a, a pro day unless it's yeah. a place I'm going that has right. a good restaurant that I want to eat at. I mean, <laughs> if a quarterback doesn't throw well at a pro day, there's a problem. You know, when you when you scripted your own plays and you're in shorts and a t-shirt, so that's always aggravated me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. When I mean practice, I'm talking about fall practice. In other words, you're getting ready for a game. I'd like, yeah. you know, I'd like that's what that's the practice. Those are the guys. That's where I see the scouts. I mean, yeah, I've gone to pro days, Mike, but I see scouts that are at a practice that say, are they coachable? Are they? Can they communicate right? Can they? You know, there's a long list of things you can see at a practice that are some of the intangibles as they're getting ready for a game, not yeah. not the not the underwear Olympics. And, I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I think most teams and scouts go off the tape. This is just, we're just in an era where the yeah. football ends in January and the draft is until the end of April. Nobody's just going to sit on their hands and say, well, we're ready, we saw the season, we're not going to do anything. You know, I mean, football coaches, all pro sports coaches, they're all they're all so so you know crazy hands on that they got to know every little thing. So it becomes a little ridiculous. But for the most part, I do believe they all go on. Or for the most part, they're going right. to go on what a player does 
on the field, on practice during the week and in preseason practice. But it just, again, it gets a little crazy to me. The shifting of the ranking of players from January to April when they haven't played a friggin' game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And you're right about the whiteboard. You know, what do they see in coverages? There's another part, too. How do they read protections? That's another part that they have to talk to quarterbacks about. How do they read protections? Because they have to call out what the protection is for the offensive line in conjunction with what the center does at this level. And that's not easy because teams are trying to disguise that all the time. Well, I mean, look at, look at what you see. With, forgetting even disguising, look at a lot of colleges. You see a quarterback going in the line of scrimmage, gives a cadence, a fake cadence, and then everybody looks to the sideline. And yeah. the coaches then tell them what to go to. Well, that doesn't happen in the NFL. You damn well better know, you know, if you see something, what you have to change to, from protection to coverage to, to routes to plays, you know, what you have to do. So that, that certainly takes some practice and some time. So, yeah, that, that's why I think those, those uh, intellectual things are very, very important. And not just do you know it, but how fast can you decide what you're seeing is real and make those split-second decisions. Uh, to me, a big part of the league. Now, this is to me. If you, Tom Brady, so far in his career, has not operated behind a quote Hall of Fame offensive lineman, but he's operated behind a bunch of really good offensive linemen. To me, a, a foundation of this league is built around the Hall of Really Good. Uh, to me, that rounds two is rounds two through six. If if teams are smart about that, can you eventually build the kind of offensive line that can then give the guys we're talking about quarterbacks the time to make the progressions, make the plays, and so forth? Where it doesn't have to be a first round guy that you pick for the offensive line. Well, you when you when you say all you said there, the first thing that should pop into everybody's mind and a picture that should come up is Jimmy Johnson because yes. Jimmy Johnson was the best at finding value. You look at that old line they had in Dallas, and believe me, I know about it because I played against them for a lot of years. Yep. I, don't, I don't know how many were first-rounders. You know, and there's Hall of Famers in there, like the Larry Allens of the world right. were first-rounders. I, I don't believe, I, I, I'm just, I don't not believe they were. I mean, and these were from smaller schools, later in the round, not first-rounders, and coach them and turn you, that, that, that's great scouting. Seeing that, okay, this guy is good. Not only is he good, but his game can can you know progress to the NFL. His game translates. So, yeah, Jimmy Johnson was one of the best. Because listen, a first round pick, there's only one. You got you know six more rounds, or you know, and say like the Eagles' case, they have eleven picks, I think. So there's only one, maybe two first rounders. The rare thing where there's three. If you hit on the rest, though, if you hit on the other nine, if you can hit on seven of them, boy, how great would that be? You know, that's that's when you get that success. You always, you know, the expectation is the first-round guy is going to hit, and that always doesn't happen. But if you get consistently get the third-rounder, the sixth-rounder, the, the two seventh-rounders, one of them to hit, you know, that's when you are building a solid team. And the other part about this, we all know the great quarterbacks are making big money now. Russell Wilson, though, when he was a third-round pick making third-round money, the Seahawks were able to fill in around him with other players. Right. Even Patrick Mahomes was still on his rookie contract when they won. So what does that mean, for for example, if the Eagles do believe that Jalen Hurts is their guy, he's operating now on a second-round contract. Now, I know the Wentz thing still has to play out one more year. Yeah. But what yeah. kind of window of opportunity the Eagles have to build around him considering his salary will not set them back? 
I'll go two ways here. One, I get it. I get it. You have you have more time to build. Even Mahomes this year is still is still his big big money. I don't think kicks in until next year. So right. you're right. So I, I I get the fact that you have time to build, but also I think people can use that as an excuse. That's up to the the, the management and the capologists. You got to plan two, three, four, five years out. And that is Mike Golick Sr., who joined us in April during draft weekend, and that was a typical Mike Golick Sr. interview, and it was so great to have him join us. That was the second time he joined us, and we hope to have him on more times with us as we continue on with the show. And, of course, college football, week zero, kicking off tomorrow, most notably Nebraska and Illinois. Nebraska is actually a six-and-a-half-point favorite, then you have UConn at Fresno State, Hawaii at UCLA, UTEP at New Mexico State, Southern Utah at San Jose State as well. So that's the slate for Week 0 on Saturday. Then, of course, Penn State will finally be back in action next Saturday when they take on Wisconsin at noon. And, of course, a game you can hear all season long on News Radio 1070 WKOK, WKOK.com, and the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app. Final hour of the show coming up. We'll replay interviews with the now-retired Mark Zumoff, the former Sixers TV voice of nearly four decades, one of his exclusive interviews that he did following his retirement announcement. That's coming up in the next half hour. Then the final half hour of the show, the now-basketball Hall of Famer and Villanova men's basketball coach Jay Wright and the Bucknell grad as well. That's all coming up in the final hour of the show. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. And today's show also brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. As we continue on a best of the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK.